Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam, asher bachar bin vi'im tovim, veratza vedivrehem hane emarim be'emet. Baruch atah Adonai, haboker batora uv Moshe avdo, uv Yisrael amo uvin vie ha'emet bazedek, biskut uv Shem Mashiach Yeshua, amen. Amen. All right, everybody. Shalom. This is Shomerman and Chassid Baz coming at you with the Parsha Haftarah. Get you some Parsha Vayishlak. All right, Chavivi, let it fly. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get our little background, little time setting down. All right. So our Haftarah is... <clears throat> from the book of Avadia, chapter one, because there's only, you know, one chapter in Avadia. That's right. <laughs> so, it's arguably, I, I believe it is the shortest book in the Tanakh. <laughs> it's the shortest uh, chapter-wise. Right. Agreed. So, definitely the shortest in the Tanakh, consists of only one chapter. And in it, it's all this criticism of Edom. Which is the southern neighbor and longtime enemy, enemy of Israel? There, this like as far as you're looking at Edom as the, the country right next to Israel, they had this huge betrayal of Israel that took place about in about 586 before uh, Common Era, mm-hmm. when Jerusalem and the Temple had been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar of Babylonia. The Edomites they looted and massacred and and the defeated and weakened Judeans. And so what particularly angered the prophet Avadia against Edom was the fact that these traitorous neighbor was descended from Esau. So in his condemnation of Edom, Avadia was protesting too the hatred between nations. And it was his strong belief that God demanded justice of all the nations, not just Israel, but all the nations. Mm. And so we have this, this link between our half Torah and our the Torah Porsche of the struggle between Yaakov and Esau and how this later affected all their descendants. Wow. And so he sharply criticizes these neighbors who would just like after destruction the temple, they're weakened, they're in a state of vulnerability, and this the neighboring country of Edom comes along and just robs, loots, murders just sort of kicks them all down. So the not-so-good example of an opportunist, basically. No, no, definitely. It's a, the bad, the flip side of that. <laughs> this is the don't-get-you-some. <laughs> all right, well, let's let's kind of look at Ovadia for a little bit. We uh-huh. we mentioned him a few half-tours ago about the, the woman with oil, star of Alicia okay. and the oil. And this, this was her husband. What? Yeah. Come so on. this is the husband of the, the woman with the oil, and he, he died away, leaving them in a like, kind of precarious situation. Um, but this was, this was that woman's husband, and he was actually a Talmudim of Eliyahu, mm. one of his four, along with Micah, Yonah, Ovadia, and Elisha. Wow. He was also an Edomite convert, and 
there's this kind of this this idea of how I got his prophecy or how he was raised up. It was actually from a long time ago, back in when Yov said, The Holy One, blessed be he, told Eliphaz, You rebuked my servant Yov with visions, Chazon. I will therefore bring forth from your descendants a prophet who will announce the punishment of your father's house with visions. As is written the vision, Chazon of Abadia, thus said Hashem God concerning Eden. Wow. <laughs> and so th- this whole this whole instant took place a long time ago when there is uh, Eliphaz who went and just would rebuke Yov. Right. That's, that's from uh, Yalkot Shemina, Yov 897. Uh, as mentioned before, he was an Edomite convert himself. And the Holy One, blessed be he, said, Let Ovadia, who dwelt among the wicked people, which would be Ahav and Jezebel, but did not learn for the bad deeds, come and prophesy about Esav, who dwelt among two righteous people, Yitziak and Rivka, but did not learn from their good deeds. From St. Egypt 39b. And it says, What is written explicitly in Scripture of Ovadia is greater than what is written of Avraham. Regarding Avraham, Scripture does not use the expression greatly in describing his fear of God, whereas regarding Avadya, it is written that he feared Hashem greatly. It says, see 1 Kings 18.3. Wow. Uh, it was oh, also... Uh, Slika, so that's the story that was talked about, about um, Avadya's righteousness, and Hashem spoke up for him and was like, no, he is righteous. Yes, yes, that was mentioned... Because uh, Ahav, he was accusing of, he's like, there's no blessing in my house, so you must not be like Yosef who blessed Pharaoh's house. Yikes. You know, but Hashem put him in check mode. It says a heavenly voice called out, um, Ovadia feared Hashem greatly. Wow. Hashem so is he, your he, backup. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's, that's the most excellent wingman ever. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> But he merited he merited prophecy. We mentioned we mentioned this issue with Ahav, and we mentioned um, his wife and him dying. And there's this incident with his children, his his now widowed wife and his children becoming slaves. And he got in that situation because he was very wealthy, but he gave all his wealth to save the lives of the prophets and conceal them in caves. And not just not just feed them bread and water, but also provide them lamps so they could study Torah. You're, talk, you're talking 100 prophets. This isn't just like a few people in cave. This is a, this is 100 people. So it, it's absolutely incredible, the, uh, the chesed of this man. And this is actually how he was married in prophecy. That from that? Yes. Oh. How he married by, by hey. saving 100 prophets. And not just saving them on time, but sustaining them through all those years. It's incredible. Yeah, because uh, people with a lot of money, I don't think that they would go broke doing something like that. <laughs> <laughs> right. And this one last thing from Zohar 1, 171a, says that none of the prophets could foresee what HaKadosh Baruch Hu would ultimately do to Esav, except for Ovadia the prophet, Anasi, a proselyte who descended from Esav. Ovadia foresaw clearly what would befall Esav. Wow. So we have clearly. Yes. So are we talking like Moshe clearly? There, there's there's that uh, that illusion. Of course, his prophecy was not on that level of Moshe. Right. And get to that in a second. It remind me of, of one more thing. It's, it's this idea that 
no two prophets actually prophesy in identical styles. From Sanhedrin 89a, Ovadia said, the pride of your heart has beguiled you. From verse 3, whereas Yamahu said, your terribleness has beguiled you, the pride of your heart. And so there's this idea that they, they do have their own styles, but they, there's like similar language. And right. it's, it's like this is, behold, the, the text of prophecy is the same of that of Ovadia. How can this be? The sages teach that no two prophets use the same style. Rather, this means that the other prophets did not prophesy in the same manner as Moshe. For Moshe received prophetically from God, not the subjects alone, but the actual words as well, just as he'd heard them. So he wrote them verbatim in the Torah. Other prophets, however, in their prophecies would see only the general outlines that God instructed them, and they would transmit and record them in their own words. Consequently, upon witnessing the same phenomenon, they would often knowingly phrase it in the same words and style as had been employed by other prophets. And so according to our, our uh, Babano, uh, the fact that Ovadia and Yamahu ultimately uh, utilized the same words and styles indicates they were witnessing the same phenomenon. So, kind of like uh, the Synoptic Gospels, basically. Yeah, exactly. Like the whole different facets of, of, of a diamond, if you will, or different perspective of the same scene is what's going on here. That's legit. <laughs> And so when it, men, when it mentions these, no two prophets have the same style, you know, and you you kind of you kind of read these two. It's it's really in reference to like Moshe said the words direct from Hashem, where the other other prophets they saw the same phenomenon, they saw the same thing going on, but they used kind of their their own words. But you see a comparison between their words and others. Gotcha. So with that, with that, you have a strength for the argument of, you know for their prophecies, for the legitimacy of the prophecies, because you have another person of a different era verifying that, that same same prophecy and just about the same language, but just slightly different enough where you know they weren't just like copying off each other. Wow. So the authenticity and genuineness of the accounts that the prophets present are personalized and what actually is diverse actually uh, adds to the validity as opposed to tear down. Exactly. That's a very, like, beautiful... It's like a tapestry, basically. Yes. I think that's a beautiful way to look at it. And if case anyone hasn't known by by looking around in in nature or anything like that, Hashem loves diversity. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so every tribe, every tongue, every nation following Torah... That's a that's a glimpse of basically what the prophets are showing us. It's like the the way the prophets are prophesying are showing us what it's like for like every tribe, every tongue and every nation to observe the same Torah. Yeah. If you basically expand it out. So it's like, you know, what does it look like to follow Torah in China? What does it look like to follow Torah in Africa? You know, and like it's the same Torah. It's just a different style. All right then. Doesn't doesn't necessarily mean you have to be, you know, descended from this person, that person. You know, it's not about necessarily lineage, like we've been talking about. It's it's about who you're attached to. Good. It sounds it sounds like the same thing, but it's it's different. It's it's not about claim claiming a lineage verbally. It's about truly, truly attaching yourself to the heart.
not the genetics, but the heart of the Avot, and the heart of Hashem, and the heart of Mashiach, and the heart of Torah itself. Amen. And so this is the lineage we should be we, we should be striving for. Oh. And I can't help but think of the 12 tribes, you know, how there are 12 different banners going on, but it's one encampment. And, yeah. you know, how we're descended from one of those tribes and each tribe has a different way of serving Hashem. And when you put them all together, it makes that beautiful picture. So that's uh, that's crazy. This is coming out with the prophets, man. <laughs> yes. I mean. You know, not to get too much. We we'll have to save some for uh, for the Vaikra, uh, Vaikra. Uh, you know, once we get into that sefer. Ken. But all right. Yeah. Cool. We well, have breastplate. Right? Twelve stones in the breastplate. Man, that boy don't even get me started. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll, I'll leave that. Leave that for another one. Your excellent Josh's. Can we say? Tab. <laughs> tab that. <laughs> All right. All right. So, our, kind of verse by verse breakdown, we have verse one: the nations proclaiming war against Adam. Hashem will humble Adam in two to four. It will be plundered. It will be trapped and going to war, which you will lose. Verses ten to sixteen: Edom sins will and ultimate punishment. Seventeen twenty: All of Israel's survivor and future conquest. And twenty one: Hashem's kingdom will be established forever. Well, that's an ending. <laughs> so, we have in this part this this half tour. It's it's all about it's all about the prophecy against Edom, the punishment that's going to ensue to them based on their crimes. So, the crime or the punishment will fit the crime is basically what you're saying. All right. Um, does understand? We can get a couple more links to the, the parsha here. This is the whole in this parsha we have the struggling with this. This angel, who's interpreted by by many commentators, at least on one level, that this is Asaph's guardian angel, mm-hmm. and so similarly to the wound that he flicks on Yaakov, uh, Asaph's descendants would torture and hurt our nation, both in body and spirit. However, just as Yaakov was healed by Shem and the end and merged perfect, so will the Jewish people. And then at the end, this this partial, we find a list of all Asaph's generals. Uh, Midrash explains that Yaakov was afraid of them, but Hashem assured him that he and his sons, his son Yosef, would destroy them as fire consumes straw. And so it goes in the future how Yosef's descendants in particular would wipe out the, the house of Esau. Say what? It, yes. And we'll get in that a little, little bit. We got, I got some good commentary on that. All right. I'm going to hold you to it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Please do. And then we, we have this whole scene about in the, the Torah that's that's kind of like, wow, did Yaakov lie to Esau? Because he, he mentions that he's going to, okay, I'll, I'll catch up with you. Essentially, this is short version, spark notes. I'll catch up with you. Then he goes the opposite direction. <laughs> and so uh, the Midrash actually clarifies here. And so Yaakov declined with the excuse that he was traveling at a sore place than his brother. He assured Esau that he would meet him in Ser. But in reality, he never did. Yaakov was hinting to Esau, I am waiting for the future birth of Mashiach. Then we will be ready to confront you and Sarah, where you will be punished for all your misdeeds. In our half tour, the prophet Obadiah promises that the meeting on Har Sair uh, will indeed take place in the final era of redemption. Well, all right then. It's kind of like you don't want me to follow you right now and meet you. 
Yeah. They said, I'll meet you there, but not right now. <laughs> oh, man. I was waiting for the birth of Mashiach. I was waiting for the Redeemer. Wow. So, okay. This beg- begs the question, who really is Adam? Because we mentioned earlier those territory to the south. Uh, we've mentioned Esau and his descendants. And so there's there's these these three main interpretations of who Adam is. And there's the idea that's the southeast country of Eretz Israel, like we talked about, who was very, very hostile to them, kicked them while they're down, looted them, you know, would attack them and would would mock them in their time of distress. There's also the idea that that are that Chazal explain that Edom is the Roman Empire. You know, you had the Romans come in and ransack the, the temple and later Constantine, Roman emperor, took on Christianity. And we have this whole idea that's written in numerous books that Edom is is, is synonymous with Rome. Well, all right, And man. lastly, we have this Edom is a collective term for all the nations descended from Esav who oppressed the Jews. The most evil one of them is Amalek. And we have our present exile known as Galus Adam, the exile, the Edomite exile. Uh, accordingly, all, to all opinions, the, the end of our chapter refers to the ultimate punishment of all Reshim collectively, all the wicked collectively. So Edom is basically synonymous for any oppressor of the Jewish people. Yes, there's there's that idea. All all the oppressors, all the descendants of Esau, um, the specific country, and then like Rome and Christianity and this idea. Man, Maror face right now. Wow. <laughs> but it's not like I said. Like we mentioned the whole idea about lineage. It's not necessarily genetics. No. It's about who you're attaching yourself to. Because here we have Ovadia, who was an Edomite convert. And so it's not necessarily, hey, if you're in this lineage, if you have this genetics, then you're going to perish. You're going to be wiped out. No, it's it's about who you attach yourself to, what values you attach yourself to. You know, are you going to attach yourself to the Torah of Hashem, or are you going to attach yourself to the wicked, cruel ways of this world? Or not from this world, I should say, but from the, the world that's been distorted by, by wicked wicked men you know that's that's absolutely incredible because you see how it's a mirror on both sides like if you weren't born jewish that doesn't mean you can't become jewish and just because you're born as an edomite doesn't mean you have to stay an edomite Mm -hmm. so that's incredible that you bring that precedent down and it's it's so emphatic so appreciate that i i agree and that's really what avadia what he stands to tell us, it says that anyone can become a Sadiq, despite having the drawback of coming from lowly origins or having a, a bad background or negative influences. He, he could honestly stand to all of Adam and proclaim that you're not compelled to behave immorally and wickedly because you have free choice. Wow. You know, like like we read er- earlier about Ovadia, why he he was reason why he was chosen. You know, he stands out because he was in the prophets of Jezebel and Ahav, the people who persecuted and would kill all the prophets of God, and yet he still stood up for what was right. Mm. And then you have you have Asav, who literally grew up among Yitzhak and and Rivka. Like these are like like the who's who of all the righteous people in the entire world for real <laughs> the you know it's, it's incredible and and still he chose to do evil he chose to do evil despite 
his own lineage. He didn't attach himself to their values. He didn't attach himself to, to their traditions and, and to Hashem's truths. You keep using this word attach, and it's like every single time you say it, it's like this flare of like brilliance where it's just like, pay attention to this, like, say la, like, I, I don't know, it's just, I'm so, I'm literally already just mind blown right now, just because this is so, so much of a life lesson, so practical, so, um, I don't know, it's just emphatic, this attachment thing that you're talking about, because sometimes we really just don't understand that what are we attached to is causing us to either be headed towards Hashem or away from Hashem. So, I don't know. I just want to make sure that's underlined, highlighted, circled, like arrows pointing here. Like, you keep saying attachment and, wow. Such a little word, but such a big word. Yes. I'm sorry. I just, man. No, that's good. Go, say that moment, you know, I'm like, like, we've, we've been going through these afterwards, and there's always, like, that that one keyword that always pops up. Wow. Like, Attachment, though. Oh, I'm going to go fly away right now. You just do your thing. <laughs> what is that? Do, do away with, like, endless genealogies and all that? Oh. Don't, oh. just attach yourself to a sin. That's what Abraham did. <laughs> That's what Ruth did. That's what Avadia did. Oh, my gosh. I said, forget it. It's worthless, you know? There, 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 there's so, so much in there like we can get too caught up and we're going to see this later in, in our half tour as well um, we try to use that as an excuse like who we know as an excuse as opposed to, to who we're attached to okay so right now I am really glad we're putting everything like letting this space happen right now because you know it's no coincidence because that's not a Hebrew word that it is this crazy time of the year where people who are not Jewish and if you're a convert and you're for the first time or for the however many times you're not doing this whole festivity thing that is not a part of Judaism, like guilt trips, um, ploys, manipulations, um, setups, um, what else? Passive aggressiveness, all types of stuff is happening right now. And man like this right here i pray that everyone is even us i pray that we're all taking this truly to our soul to our neshama because what's happening right now man like this is so telling like hashem gives us so much of an opportunity to prove if we're for him he gives us test after test because he loves us he's not going to test you if he doesn't love you and if you're a person who is walking around untested, unchallenged, then you might want to be a little afraid, afraid of that. But knowing the fact that you can't you can't bank on your heritage, you can't bank on your genealogy like, you know, uh, Yochanan said it best. Uh, the the immerser, he said, Yochanan ben Zachariah, Slika, he said, Hashem can raise up sons of Abraham out of these stones, out of inanimate objects. So, how much more so for us who are living, who are alive, who have mental capacities to really attach ourselves, like, like Hasis is saying. I mean, wow, that, that's incredible. 
I mean, it, it's such a it's such a like crazy thing, like with our our humanness, where we want to be so accommodating. We don't want to inconvenience people. We don't want to feel bad about making choices and standing for something. I can only imagine what Ovadia must have went through in his own household. You know, of just being like, you're a descendant of Asav, like you, your people, you know, you're part of Haman's family. Think about that for a second, <laughs> you know, yes. and it's just like, yeah, I, I, I know that's, that's cool. Um, not really cool, but I mean, I, I'm not, I, that's a don't get you some for me. So I'm as Jew as they come. And, uh, yeah. So, so what are we doing for Hanukkah? <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, I, I end there, but just please, all of us, everybody, Hashem, help us. Wow. Whoo. Stand like a Vadia. Yes, man. Okay. So let's jump into a half tour. It's all introduction. <laughs> man, Hasis, I don't know what I'm going to do with myself right now. I'm freaking out, man. <laughs> <laughs> no. So we have Behold. And then, behold, I made you small among the nations. You are very despised. So we have we have this idea about the, the Edom is dispo, despised. And then it, the sages elucidate this with a parable. It says, a young man wished. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, this is, I don't know if it's long enough to be a story time. So we'll just kind of jump in here. Jump in. A young, a young man wished to enlist in the military. He applied but was rejected. Upset, his mother rushed over to the headquarters to complain. Why didn't you accept my son into the army? She demanded. Who is your son? Questioned the commander. The mother gave his name, adding, My son is strong and brave. Perhaps in your eyes he's strong, the commander replied curtly. But I detected, all I detected was weakness and cowardice. Similarly, Yitzhak's son, Asav, was insignificant in Hashem's eyes. The same can be said for the Roman Empire. Its impressive external appearance was merely a facade for corruption. In my eyes, you are small and lowly, says Hashem. And soon I'll bring you down before the eyes of the whole world. And so we, we mentioned this whole, the whole idea of like, Esau looks tough, he's big, he's strong. You know, even when he came out was born, it looked like he was grown. You know, according to a lot of like Chazal and, yeah. and the rabbis. And so he has this very intimidating appearance, much like Goliath, much like the giants in the land uh, before our, our forefathers crossed over. So there's this idea, you know, but it's he mentions this as this external appearance, and the impression of external appearance was merely a facade for corruption. Wow! It was all it was all fake. Oh my! You know, in, inside inside you're completely weak. Inside it's nothing. Well, uh, Sheki Anu, for real, you just dropped the first parable in our haftara. Get you all right. Rukashim. <laughs> so, you know, we, we have this idea, even with the whole idea of, of externality and in the, in the physical, our our generation is so heightened on that. And oh, possibly all, all generations have been so heightened on in the physical aspect. But even once we get more into like the whole, like like scientific realms and physics and chemistry, and, and even you just study like the atom, the, the distance from the center of the atom the nucleus of atom to the electron is the same ratio as the sun is from the earth. Come on. <laughs> which is huge. And so you look at like atoms, like the building block of the entire creation, what everything's made up with. Most of everything is actually this empty space. It's this <laughs> invisible 
force that holds everything together. Hmm. That is what all of physical reality is made up on. Wow. And so people have trouble with the sham. Okay, you can't see him. Okay, he doesn't make himself known. Okay, well, look around you. Ooh. Look at this. There's an invisible force that holds everything together, every atom in your body together. This all points to, to the higher reality that there is one who's binding every all materiality together. And this is why he's not repressed, impressed with the material. Oh, he, he sees, he sees, he knows the building blocks is creation. He knows mostly what makes up everything is these invisible forces. That's not material. It's not, it's not flesh and blood. It's not matter, oh. if you will. Oh my gosh. It's something above it. It's a higher order. It's, it's spirituality, if you will, this energy. And so what really gives us true power to hold everything together, to, to make all these, uh, different different connections and this power up this this energy and the strength like hidden within even the scientific realm you see it towards the higher order that that where our strength truly come from is something beyond the physical the the building blocks of everything we're made up of so it's so beyond just the physical wow and so that's why he's not impressed and so you know it makes everything known through nature you know we point we mentioned earlier he loves diversity you just look at nature you you delve into all the scientists, and if you if you delve into delve into all these scientists, sciences, it actually points you back to a shim. <laughs> if you're, if you some. All right, so carrying carrying on, we what? have um, we have this idea, and later it mentions the the pride of your heart has persuaded you, Edom, to view your dwelling place like the habitation in the clefts of the rocks, high up and invincible. You think in your heart, who can bring me down to the ground? Uh, so our sages Chazal consider Rome as the embodiment of arrogance itself. Mm. And it refers to Rome as well as all the world powers that succeeded it. And so it brings us to vor- verse 4. Even if you were to raise your dwelling place to a high spot, such as one where an eagles nest, and even if you were to place your nest among the stars, I will bring you down from there, says Hashem. And so we we get into this this kind of reflection on last Parsha, where uh-huh. Yaakov is fleeing from Esau. This is the commentary on, on this verse. It says, Yaakov, Yaakov spent the night in Har Hamariah, and in a prophetic, prophetic dream, he saw these angels climbing up and down the ladder that reached the sky. And according to certain Midrashim, these were the guardian angels of the other nations. And so he, he envisioned... Babel's guardian angel moving up in 70 rungs to the ladder. Then it descended. This represented the number of years that Babylonia held B'nai Israel captive. Then he sees the angel of uh, Persia, Media Persia, Media, climb up 52 rings, and then it descends the 52 years that the Median Empire would dominate over, over us. And then he sees the, the, the angel of Greece that ascended 180 rungs before turning back. But it descended just like the, the hundred eighty years. But then finally, Yaakov visualized Adam's guardian angel climbing higher than anyone before him, seemingly to the sky. And Yaakov waited anxiously, but the angel failed him to return. Filled with panic, Yaakov Avinu asked, Will this angel never fall? Is there no end to the Edomite exile? Hashem comforted Yaakov's fear. Amen. Do you know how he comforted his fear? How? He used Avadia's prophecy. No. 
Yes. Stop it. Just he used Avadya, Avad, yeah, the servant of Hashem's prophecy to comfort him. Man. That no, no, his 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 inima, his this exile will not last forever. <sighs> but remember, we we talked er- earlier about how Avadya was was given the foresight above anyone else to actually see that it ends, <laughs> and so. He used Avadya's prophecy in this verse. Even if you, Edom, will place your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down. Oh, so Yaakov oh. foresaw that the first three exiles of Bnei Azrael would end, but not Edom, the fourth and final exile. Hashem promised Yaakov that he would, he personally would end this exile by bringing Mashiach. What? Oh yes. my gosh. And we, we mentioned earlier about this idea of attachment to the essence yes. versus the attachment to like the whole the genetic aspect you know? mm-hmm. and and we, we have to attach ourselves to a shim's essence and not just be be caught up on on these endless genealogies that at the end of the day mean nothing kind of like the whole idea of the physical realm at the end of the day it means nothing because at the end of the day most of of matter is is these invisible forces that hold everything together and so what are we really grabbing a hold of? Are we grabbing hold of that this tiny little bit of matter that at the end of the day is, is going to be reduced to nothing? and a day it's going to see decay? Or are we going to grab a hold to, to the essence, the energy, the, these forces that are holding the entire universe together? <laughs> the Torah that holds the entire world together. Wow. And so what, what, are, we, what are we doing? Because Esav was grabbing the material realm. Mm-hmm. Whereas Yaakov, we learned from our father Yaakov, he, he went and reached for a higher realm. Yes, he did. And so our, our, our Chazal explained that one of the causes for Edom's pride is his heritage. Really? His lineage. He was trying to claim the fact that, that he, his, his, his grandfather was Avraham. His, his father was Yitzhak. And so this is what it means by what Chazal say it means by its habitation is high in the high rocks, meaning meaning that Edom claims its lineage from the great rocks, our forefathers Avraham, Yisyach, and Yaakov. Therefore, it puts its nest among the stars, i.e. in the future it will attempt to join the ranks with the Sadikim who are named stars. Huh. And this way Edom will hope to escape punishment. However, Hashem will not agree with Edom's deceitful tactics Cool. And he will punish them. According to many explanations, the above verse referred to the, the, the country boarding it's Israel in Vadya's time. Avadya warned the people that its arrogance would soon be punished. And so we have this idea that they were trying to, to escape their due because they're trying to hold on to their heritage. Not not necessarily anything that they had did earn, they're fought for, they strive for, but oh, because I'm related to this guy. This is what makes me makes me great. This is what gives me value. This is what gives me validation. You know? And we we cannot live our lives like that. That's right. You know, we have to understand that our validation, our 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 standing, our authority is given by living Torah, by attaching ourselves to a shim, by by attaching ourselves to Mashiach. And and this is this is this is where we get our power. This is where we get our authority. This is where we get our confidence. This is where grounding is. And if anyone's saying, oh, I, I knew this guy, I'm attached to this guy, and they're trying to, you know, just escape, escape punishment, escape consequences. They're trying to give themselves, you know, like like more credibility despite the evil they've done, then this is not going to work. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and this is what Aesop did, and this is the, this ends up causing a lot of a lot of damage. True that. To, because they they lose they lose the value. They see the value in material realm and not in the spiritual realm. All right. Well, that was violent. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. So. Uh, it, it mentions kind of going into verse six at the time of punishment. How how will Aesop be searched? His concealed places will be investigated, down to the last treasure. Every bit of his belongings will be carried away. Referring to the Edomim and Israel's neighbors, Avadia says that they would lose their hidden treasures through enemy invasions. If we consider Aesop referring to the nations that oppress the Jews, the Navi foretells they will become impoverished in the future. The punishment is Mida connected Mida. Mm. Aesop was a theft by profession it was only fitting that his descendants who follow his ways would themselves be robbed and also the words uh, also mean that the secret sins of Esau's descendants will be brought to light in the future the hypocritical, the hypocritical posing of Sadakim won't help them at all the words contains in the letters uh, sin Hashem will expose not only the hidden riches of Esau's descendants, but also the well-concealed atrocities. Stripping Edom of its possessions is but the first part of the punishment. This will be followed by the war that will decimate it. So we, we go into verse uh, verse 8. Um, will I not in that day, says Hashem, destroy the wise men from Edom? Their plans and strategies will not save them from defeat, and I'll uproot understanding from Harsinai. And... He foretells the extinction of the small land of Edom that adjoined Israel, but beyond that, our sages continue to refer to Edom to the nations descended from Esau. From all the many nations, the Almighty One chose to grant only a Jewish nation toward wisdom. Yet he did not endow Edom, the nation of the world, with qualities such as physical strength. He did endow them with qualities such as physical strength, intelligence, and courage. However, instead of employing these for the furtherance of a better moral world, Edom was misused, misused them for the purpose of destruction. Therefore, Mashiach's time, Hashem will destroy the wise men from Edom and understanding from Har Sinai. Har, Har Seir, excuse me. Light it up. <laughs> so going on, going on about, about them, it mentions the verse 9, says, says uh, Taman, 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 Edom, your heroes will be shattered in war and every man from Har Seir will be killed in battle. And so it's like, what begs the question, why is it called, why is it called uh, Taman? Why? Because there's there's one aspect of Edom, the, the southern country. So it's appropriately named Taman, the south, the southern country, because it's to the south. But if you look at it through the Reshaim among Esau descendants, you it's spelled it's they're called Taman because the war heroes from the south were famed for their strength. And so the first part of the Suk to mean can be interpreted the war heroes will flee to a southern country. And so Hashem's like, I'm going to show you for who you truly are. You're, you're not strong just because you look physically like like intimidating and you, you have all these numbers and all this power and you dominate the world through through these gifts that I've given you. I'm going to show them your true colors. We'll show you just how tough you really are. Man. And then, <laughs> I call them Taman. That's what that means. <laughs> yeah, it's like the idea of, of southern and how they're gonna flee southward. Oh my word! <laughs> so that's crazy. I, I just, uh, if I can just tab this in there for us, Yochanan five thirty, Mashiach, our master, 
and our Mashiach, Yeshua, he says, I can do nothing by myself. So he talks about basically the fact that if Mashiach is to do anything, it's only because his father in Hashemayim is, a, is enabling him to do so. And so Mashiach, obviously off the scales when it comes to power and off the scales when it comes to truth and not a facade. So if we're looking at the flip side of that with this Taman that you're mentioning, then uh, this is a, a huge lesson for us about, again, attachment. That's it. I'm just going to hashtag this attachment, okay? Just No, right. <laughs> Put that in the title. I'm going to give these, these afterwards titles. I'm a little attached to that, so just... <laughs> oh, that's what you did. <laughs> Keep going. Okay. All right. So, moving on to verse 13, we'll kind of go, go through it, because there's some key verses from this Haftor that are, that are quoted in different Medrashim and different things that we really like to skip to. All right. Get to them. And so... Verse 14, uh, and the commentator want to read this to really emphasize the wickedness of Adam. Uh, so it says, You should not have intensified the calamity by decimating the Jewish remnant in exile, nor should you have imprisoned the survivors on the day of their distress. The Nudashim are filled with descriptions of the inhumanely cruel treatment our nation suffered at the hands of the Romans in the course of the second destruction. It is stated of Nebuchadnezzar's general, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, that after he destroyed Jerusalem, he gave orders that strictly forbade the conquered Jews to pray, fearing that their God might have mercy on them. Ooh. When he noticed that a Jew defied his orders and stood up to pray, he seized him and tore him to pieces, limb by limb. Then he cast the torn body before the other Jewish prisoners. Whenever a Roman governor entered a Jewish city, the first thing he did was to hang the greatest people in the city. Then the Jewish leaders begged him to desist, but he refused. The Romans killed Jewish children without mercy. Once, 300 children were forced, were found hung on, a tr on one tree. 300 children found hung on one tree. After the fortified city of Batar was conquered, the enemy horses waded in Jewish blood up to their nostrils. The brains of 300 little Jewish children were found smashed on one stone. And 80,000, 80,000 young Konim were slain. Once a Jewish man greeted the Roman Emperor Hadrian in passing, Who might you be, the Emperor inquired. I'm a Jew, the, the humble reply. You, how in, impertinent of you, Jew, exclaimed Hadrian. How dare you greet your Emperor, behead him. A while later, another Jew passed the Emperor. Having heard of this unfortunate fellow Jew's fate, he cautiously refrained from greeting the Emperor. And who might you be, the Emperor asked him. I'm a Jew, the man replied. In a rage, Hadrian exclaimed, A Jew dares to pass me without a greeting? Behead him. Puzzled by the emperor's irrational behavior, the ministers remarked, Great and mighty emperor, we don't understand your actions. Who deserves punishment? The one who greets you or the one who doesn't? Hadrian report, re retorted angrily, Did I ask for your opinion? Any excuse is good enough to kill my enemies. Well, so, is the 137 much? Yes. Yes. That's exactly where I was going with this no uh, seriously yeah we're on the, we're on the same page oh bruka sham so tell me 107 there's there's an in part tell me 107 wait 107 or 137 137 sleep up oh okay cool all right 
Remember the offspring of Adam, the day of Yerushalayim, for those who say destroy, destroy to its very foundation of violated Dara of Babylon. Praiseworthy is he who repays you in the manner that you treated us. Praiseworthy is he who clutch and dash your infants against the rock. So this makes a lot of people uncomfortable. Right. It says, because the word's not infants. What? The word, the words, the words, olalalik. And I'm emphasizing that, yes, it could be translated infants, but I'm emphasizing the word is not infants. Like when you read the word of the Torah and you're saying, it says here that Moshe stood. No, the word isn't stood. Nowhere in the Torah does it say stood. Ooh. It might say like a mod, mm. like the standing prayer. It might, it doesn't say prayer either. The word says tefillah. And I'm emphasizing that for the point because we can read a word like the word like jealous. Mm-hmm. When we read it in English, we have our preconceived notion of jealousy. It's all about insecurities, and they react angrily, and jealousy is a bad thing. But the word is, is kana, which has this idea of more protection, of, of like a, a, a mother bird defending her nest. Oh. It's really the idea of when it, Hashem says he's jealous. Oh. Uh, God, it means he's protective. He has this protective anger because he has this attachment to us. It's not jealousy. It's kana. Mm. It's just to protect. And I'm emphasizing that for a point because sometimes we read the words in English, we think we have our own preconceived notions, but nowhere in the Torah is there an English word. Wow. And we need to get that straight. It's it's wasn't written written for the Western English mind. Wow. It was written completely Jewish setting, Hebrew words. Wow. And one of the interpretations of what this word means, Alik, a study on this word and like some of its root studies, and. Uh, Man Lones brings up this commentary that Alalik, this whole idea, it refers to it refers to the idea of the 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 wicked leaders of the nations, Ooh. and they're referred to as infants because they are so immature. They have no knowledge of Hashem. They have no knowledge of truth. That they're referred to as infants. They're so they're so needy and so dependent. That they're referred to as Ali. Well, thank you for joining us tonight. We will be concluding our podcast. Uh, Aziz will be leaving now. <laughs> I just want, just want to make that make that clear um, for anyone who's uncomfortable with this. Um, Hashem is 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 not a god who's just going to punish all the little innocents out there. That's that's not something that's found praiseworthy. Um, what's found praiseworthy is justice. And Hashem is a God of justice. Amen. Well, that was an understatement for hashtag learn Hebrew. Uh, are you are you there? Okay, I think he really left the podcast. Like you read, like they would literally, you know, and other other. Oh. If you let some commentary on lamentations, Echa, I mentioned the Romans would take the Torah scrolls, they'd wrap Jewish children in them, and they set them on fire. And so there's these natrashis that was done by these nations that knows really no bounds. It's just evil. And, it, and there's comfort in that these men are going to be punished. These Rashaim are going to be punished. Okay, so really quick, just to kind of recap, because you kind of dropped out for about 10 seconds. Oh, sticker. Can you hear me? Are you there? Looks like Hello? we're in the middle. Okay. okay. Are you kidding I, me? I think my, my speaker got accidentally swooshed <laughs> oh, so okay. went on speaker mode 
Okay, so technical difficulties. I didn't really mean for you to leave the podcast. I just want to say that. <laughs> okay. Wow, it's pretty literal this time. I know, and I was just so you kind of dropped out for about ten seconds when you were sharing your insights before the tour scroll unfortunate events. Um, so if you can just kind of recap, because we're talking about Edom being connected to people who are attached to some very very heinous things that that yes. have been perpetrated so if you can just kind of recap yeah. that into the conclusion please there's just this this whole idea that uh, hashem's a god of justice and he's he's gonna punish the wicked accordingly not not these innocent little babies but it refers to those who are they're they're so mature that you could only think of them as infants because if, if they were adults, they're grown, if they're mature, then they would have some idea of, of wisdom, some idea of being able to relate to another human being and not just seeing them as a, as a source to to just take from. And so this is this, this whole idea of the wicked Edomite empire. All right. Well, it's got to happen at some point. So may Hashem have mercy. Amen. I may bring people out of that and to repentance yeah there, there is a day coming there is a reckoning coming where the wicked will be punished and we kind of look at it and there's all this question well why why the bad people get blessed these people are evil these people have done this there's this idea the wicked receive all their blessings in this world and they're punished completely in the next and and the blessings are, are actually there like sometimes they're they're there to, to give you hey look all this kindness is coming my way thank you god I don't deserve this. Thank you, Hashem. I'm, let me turn back and see what you need for a change. Oh. That's why they're there. It's not that he's just, just just giving it to them just so they can just like just punished. It's the idea that that they should be turning back to him. Of of course, there's also the the idea that you know if they're just completely wicked, he's just gonna bless them completely, so they don't they don't turn back to them at all because they don't need him. And so it's like okay. And we we read in uh, another half Torah that we had the. The, the king of, of, of the nations who took three steps backwards in order to deliver a message in order to honor God's name. That's right. And because of those three steps, he was given uh, three descendants leading up to Nebuchadnezzar who would destroy the Behemikdash. You know, we, we, there's also awesome mentioning about the Orpah's uh, five, uh, I believe it's five tears. Yep. And for each tear she cried, she was grant, granted a a giant a great man and 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 you know we later these people actually caused great punishment for for israel and but eventually they were they were given all the reward in this world so that, that they would have have none in, in the next and there's there's another idea that even the that's brought forth by Med, uh, midrash tankuma that the punishment of the righteous actually is actually leads to if you will the condemnation of the wicked. Wow. And we, we've read about this. It's that, you know, there's this idea of like, like circum circumcision. And it says, what about all the uncircumcised babies? What wow. happens to them? And what happens to all the, the wicked people who, uh, who were circumcised? Cause I mentioned this idea of that. If you're, if you're circumcised, you don't descend and get and right. so it brings forth these questions. Okay, well, what about the babies who weren't circumcised? What about the the Rishayim, all these wicked people who were? What about them? And so, what's that? I say, what about them? Tell us. What about it? 
And Mirasankuma brings down that these the infants are are, are the, the the foreskin from the infants is, is removed and it's placed on the wicked to bring them down to Gehenna. And so it's because these these little un, these babies who, who died maybe like in the womb or straight off, straight after birth and they didn't have the chance they they died before they were circumcised they died before the eighth day the wicked are able to be condemned and brought into Gehenna. Now, whether you take the, the Midrash as, as Peshat level, literal, what have you, if, if you want to, fine, you know, but if you're uncomfortable with that, fine, I understand. But the idea is more the message that's behind there, that the afflictions, why why the good people afflicted and why are the bad people blessed? Well, it's through the afflictions of the righteous that the wicked are brought down and punished and that justice is brought into the world. So if you go with that very very truth that you just presented like a violent man think about that in the relation to Mashiach Yeshua suffering and dying on the crucifixion yeah. stake mm-hmm. that oh my word yes it, it had like salvation we met, mentioned one of our beginning half tours on when we did uh, Shimshon we mentioned the idea of salvation being a process and he was in the process where the righteous had to suffer in order for justice to come come and reign into the world. Wow. And so we um, actually get to our, this, this next little bit in 15, verse 15, it says, Avadya addresses, in the commentary on that, Avadya addresses every person that has ever laid a hand on a Jew in order to harm him. And Hashem has prepared the time of redemption for punishing all B'nai Israel's enemies. And the words, the bottom, uh, you have Vayahu Kolo Hayu. They're a hint to Lamed. It says Lamed Aleph. Um, it says the nations will become extinct like the 31 kings slain by Yehoshua. Oh. So, yeah, you have, you have this idea. It goes back to the nations are going to be extinct by Yeshua. Right. Like the 31 kings he, he slayed. <laughs> now that's, that's, that's from verse 16. Uh, Talking about them becoming wild, bewildered from the misfortunes befalling them. And finally they'll become as if they never existed. And so, so it's like the 31 kings that he, Yehoshua, Yeshua made extinct. Oh my goodness. Well, all right then. And two verses down, you have this. This is a famous verse from Yadya. At the time of punishment, the house of family of Yaakov will be like a fire, the house of Yosef a flame, and the house of Esau straw. They, Yaakov and Yosef, will burn and devour Esau just as fire consumes straw. Bring it. Not a remnant will be left of the house of Esau. This will surely come true, for Shem has spoken. And it says the entire Jewish nation is likened to a fire. Yosef's tribe is singled out. Why? And it goes up, Why is this so? Why? Yeah, like I said, good question. <laughs> Yosef's tribe, in particular, has the spiritual power to overcome Esau since Yo- Yosef's actions were diametrically opposed to Esau's. Yosef, as a young man in Egypt, remained righteous in spite of the evil influence of Potiphar and Pharaoh. Esau grew up with two Sadakim, Sadakim Rachel. Yaakov, and he still, oh, and then there's also the idea of, of Yaakov and Yitzhak, and he still became wicked. Esau and his descendants lacked fear of God. Yosef's descendants excelled in their fear of God. Ooh. Why are Yaakov's fire and Yosef's flame? It says there's Torah study 
that is likened to fire, Ooh. and the merit of Torah will prevail over Asaph, and the merit of Torah, and the merit of Torah. <laughs> yeah. We mentioned this idea last, last half Torah about Hoshia, about even though the merit of the forefathers stopped at his time, the, the Brit, the covenant, did not stop. It, the covenant still protected them. It was the merit of the covenant. What is that covenant? It's this, the idea of the Torah. Our so, protection. Yes. And we go to the whole, the living Torah, Yeshua Mashiach. Boy. <laughs> this merit that, that we prevail. And Ma'am Lois has this to say about this verse. says, some say that it means the Mashiach son of Yosef will come marching at the head of an army. Still there? Yes. Did you drop out? Oh, no. Okay. I thought, thought you did for a second. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm, I may black out because I'm getting, like, assaulted over here, but okay. So it means he will come marching at the head of the army on Mashiach ben Yosef. And then the whole, it, it mentions this idea, Yosef is like the flame and that he overcame his his urge, which is likened to a flame. Accordingly, the letter Hey was added to his name, which became Yehosef. Hence, it says here, flame uh, la which may be read la la uh, hey, literally a flame of Hashem, a flame of God. So we have this comparison to, you know, Hashem's name and this flame, who's who's Yosef, or the flame which is Torah. Wow, because the five books of Torah, the hey. Yes. Whew. So now we got Yosef is the Torah. He overcomes his own flame. Wow. Okay. That's what we gonna do, huh? <laughs> we have uh, in, on verse twenty one says says this very interesting part it says when the rescuers will be on Har Sion will ascend the mountain where Esau resides to bring them to justice for all the evil he did to the Jews. Then the kingdom will openly belong to Hashem. All the nations will proclaim his sovereignty. And says, who are these uh, Moshe'im, these rescuers who will judge Asav? Who? And then it brings down that it's, one explanation is, is it's Mashiach and his assistants. Oh. And Mamloa has actually come down and says it, says the Mashiach ben David and the Mashiach ben Yosef together with all their princes will ascend on Mount Zion. And from there... Judge Mount Esav. Wow. And another idea of the Libras refers to the prophet Eliyahu and the Mashiach. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Transfiguration. There it is. Mm hmm. Wow. And so, the ideas um, about the whole, and you know, you, you also haven't mentioned like Moshe is another idea of one of these liberators and the sons of Moshe. Right, and so here you have Eliyahu, you have Moshe, like I said, in transfiguration, and then you have Mashiach, who's standing at the center, holding it all together. Holding it, wow. Because <laughs> you know Moshe, when Yehoshua was fighting against Amalek in our parsha Beshalach at uh, a future date, um, Moshe was on the mountain with Aharon and Hor. And they were holding up his hands to lift up the standard to cause the victory in the battle. And so you think about Moshe having his assistance to bring the salvation for the people through Yeshua. 
we're looking at that on a very, very exponentially turned up scale when you look at Moshe or when you look at Yeshua, Moshe, and Eliyahu. Like that's on steroids. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. Okay, man. Uh, that's that is that's like the the final. That's verse twenty one. That's our final verse in this this half Torah. That's the whole chapter of Anya. Wow, we did it! Thank you, Hashem. Yes. <laughs> so it, it it ends with the idea on Mashiach's return is his judgment of all these Rashim, all these wicked people who's persecuted us, who, who who may be like surviving, who may be blessed in this material world, but like we we mentioned, a world that's beyond that. There's the world that holds all the material world together, the whole spirit, this whole spiritual immaterial realm. And that's what we need to attach ourselves to. Because that is the picture of Yaakov grabbing a hold of the heel of Asaph. It was talking in the uh, commentary on that verse about how uh, Asaph, or Yaakov was grabbing onto the heel to signify that he grabs on to the heel of this world because this world is the heel of higher worlds. And so what we attach ourselves to is a little bitty portion of this world that causes us to be in it, but not of it because we're above it. So I didn't mean to rhyme on that one, but and not to sound like we're above the world and everybody's below us. But for the sake of understanding that we have to we have to definitely not invest all of who we are into this world, but invest into the Olam Haba. But live this world in such a way that you've said so many times tonight where you're attached to Hashem. You're bringing about his kingdom, his mission upon this earth, because ultimately the higher worlds are meant to be brought into the lowest worlds, which is why we want a Beit HaMikdash, which is why Hashem wants that, actually. So absolutely incredible that you bring that down. Pun intended. Definitely. That's all that you bring down um, <laughs> of this, this other world. This, even the, the Ilam Haba and, and Ramkal highlights in his Mishlat Yashrim the, the, the purpose of man, man's mission in the world. And it says, man was created for the sole purpose of delighting in Hashem. And the only way, the, 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 the world that was designed for that delight was the Ilam Haba. Ooh. And it's through this world is like this, this, this roadway to the Ilam Haba. And so, Bruce you know, King. pick up your mitzvahs, pave your way, strive strive for 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 not this world as you mentioned but the next world um, a higher world well can i share a quick few uh things that i just saw in front of me and as we kind of head into our practical takeaways yes if i could share a section of a story time that i've that i've entitled friendship struggles oh my goodness we didn't do store how did we not get to i, know, I, I forgot about this and I, I turned the page i was like oh no this was this was like the main one of the main story times. Uh, yeah, we need to interrupt everything right now for story time. Wait, go ahead, drop drop your stuff unless you want to put it at the the ending. Because no, I feel like story time is gonna be so epic, and I just want to just drop this out. Okay, so the first thing is looking at Pasuk twenty one, verse twenty one. If you look at the word Moshiim, the word Asav is in Moshiim. But Asaph is literally in between the Mem 
and the Yod Mim. And Mim Yod Mim spells Mayim. And so what we're talking about when those who are attached to Asav or Edom for uh, even more of an expanded picture, we're talking about the justice that's going to come to them and the punishment that truly fits the crime. We as Yehudim, we as true followers of Hashem, we don't want people to suffer. We don't desire that any man perish. We desire that every person come to know Hashem, come and be a new creation in Mashiach. Like that is our goal. And even in this word, Moshi'im, which means saviors or Mashiachs, like you put yourself in the water. The water of the mikvah, the water of the Torah, the water of the spirit, the water of teshuva, i.e. exactly what Yochanan ben Zechariah was all about. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I've said this a long time ago when we first started on the Haftarah portions, come out of her, my people. And I'm just repeating something that's already written in the scriptures. So come out of her, my people is all who are a part of Edom and a part of Asaph and haven't realized what you're attached to. Please politely enter into the waters and come into the newness of life. And, um, don't go through all the horribleness. Yes. I don't know how to say that because, I mean, we're not supposed to prove a point to bring people into the kingdom or argue people into the kingdom. They have to be drawn. I get it. But I just, when I look at that, I'm just like, oh my gosh. So that's the first thing. Second thing is, for some reason, I was led to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12, that says, anyone builds if anyone builds on this foundation using gold silver and precious stones wood hay or straw i.e wood and stubble his workmanship will be evident because the day will bring it to light it will be revealed with fire and fire will prove the quality of each man's work and so thinking about asav's household as wood and stubble and straw you know, and the day, uh, the, uh, the day of Hashem is going to come and it's going to be a day where his fire cleanses and purifies. And that is the Torah. That's the Torah going forth. It's not like necessarily fire and destruction, shalom, but you know, who am I? I have no idea exactly how that's all supposed to look, but just from the aspect of the Torah being a all consuming fire and Hashem being an all consuming fire, the spirit of Mashiach being an all consuming fire. When that happens, what's going to stand through that is those who are attached to the consumption, i.e. those who walk in the ways of Torah. So that uh, was brought out actually by Lightfoot in a commentary I read a, a long time ago that was talking about how if you are in the Torah, when this day of judgment comes that's talked about here in this Corinthians passage, the, the Torah, everything that is of Torah will be left standing. That's uh, something that's absolutely mind-boggling to me. And the final thing, told out for this, by the way, uh, is 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 4 and Titus chapter 3 and verse 9. They both say the same thing about genealogies. They say, do not get involved into disputes about endless genealogies 
okay like yes we've all come from different places some of us were born in the jewish households and some of us were not but at the end of it all where are you attached so that's all i have to say about that and that's all i saw and i want to share i, I just have to say excellent excellent points and point one wow I was literally having to hold my tongue because there's so many excellent things. Oh, well, Yasha Koak on that. I'm, I'm in, dude. Uh, I know how hard that is. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. We Same struggles. We, I'm about to read this this uh, uh, the story time that I've entitled Friendship Struggles. And so, you know, how fitting. Oh. Um, but, but we have this idea of where you attached to. Yeah. And earlier you said there's there's the word in uh, Moshe'im that Esav, his name is hidden there. It's attached in, in Ma'im, yeah. like these living waters, right? I'm going to get to that in a second. But you also mentioned the idea of, of Yaakov grabbing Esau's foot. He was attached to Esau. Mm. But why was he attached to Esau? What was he trying to do? Ooh. Well, he had his Yad, he had his hand, right? Like Yad, Yod, attached to Esau. Why did he grab? Did you really? Well, when you put your yod on the word Esav, you get the word Yeshua. You get the word salvation. Boy. And so this is the same way Avadya come to deliver this, this prophecy of Edom. Well, guess what? What is he standing there as? He's standing there as someone who's been delivered from this. And so even in his rebuke to Edom, he's, he's giving them a way out. He says, look at me. Like not that I'm not that I'm anybody, but look, look at that very fact that I came from this place. This is my heritage. But I came out of there and I'm serving a shim wow. because because this this yud this yo this yad of a shim came and, and delivered me from this. Like it brought me salvation. How much more so for you? Going back to this word inside Moshe'im, you also have the word. Yud Vav Shin Ayin Yeshua. Oh, I, oh my gosh. And Mim Yud Mim Mayim. And so you have Yeshua, like these waters of salvation. And Yeshua says, you know, the idea of like you drink of these waters, you will never thirst again. Oh my. And then furthermore, he says this Talmud, out of you shall flow rivers of wanting, running water. And what does the Midrash comment on this? He says it refers to, a simple explanation refers to, Mashiach and his assistants. His assistants? Oh. His Talmudim? The ones who, who the, 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 the living water of Mashiach flows out from. Really? The 12 stones? <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, gosh. Man, I don't know. I, I feel like we could stand there for... <laughs> Man. Yeah. Not only Aesop, not only down. this idea of Aesop coming in to the living waters of Torah, but also... The idea of of Yeshua and his his water, his living water of Torah, being like the the stream that we're we're planted by, that we grow and flourish by, like read in Tehillim one. So in Messiah Yeshua, you become a new creation through the waters. You're born again from above, like that is the whole picture. So if you are not a Jew, it is encouraged highly. To convert. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, that. Okay. All right. Well, friendship struggles. Friendship struggles. <laughs> All right. It is story time. The Roman emperor Antino uh, Antonius was a close friend of the great sage Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. 
One of the emperor's palaces was connected by a secret underground tunnel to the Jewish rabbi's residence. The emperor would visit Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi every day to listen to his Torah teachings. And during these sessions, no one besides Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi was allowed to be present, for the emperor did not want anyone to find out about them. The two slaves who accompanied the emperor on his trip, they were executed daily. One at the entrance to Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi's home, and the other at his palace. The purpose of all these precautions was to ensure one thing, absolute secrecy. One day, upon his arrival at Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi's home, the emperor was dismayed to find Rabbi Hanina Vendosa in Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi's study. Why do you disobey my orders? The emperor asked Rabbi Yehuda. Haven't I warned you that no one be present when I arrive? Rabbi Yehuda replied, This Torah scholar is so holy that he is not considered immortal. Antonontius wished to find out whether this was so. He therefore commanded Rabbi Hanina, Bring in my slave who is waiting for me outside. In reality, the slave had been killed. Upon finding him dead, Rabbi Hanina was not sure how to act. It's improper to return with bad news, he thought. But how can I neglect to fulfill the emperor's orders? To resolve the dilemma, Rabbi Hanina prayed that the Almighty revive the slave. Hashem performed the miracle and Rabbi Hanina returned with the slave who was as alive as ever. Overcome by wonder, the emperor exclaimed, Why, even the smallest of you Jewish rabbis is able to revive the dead. <laughs> Nevertheless, I insist that no one should be here in the future when I come. During these visits, Antonius would serve Rabbi Yehuda and Hanasi as the slave would serve his master. Once he crashed down, crouched down to the slave who would use his so the stage would use his back to step up to climb under the couch. Rabbi Hulun Hanasi protested, This is going too far. You are, after all, the emperor. And as such, you must retain a certain amount of dignity. My only hope is that I may continue to serve you in the Alam Haba, explained Antonius. Mm. Do you think I will have a portion at all in this that world? You certainly will, confirmed Rabbi Hulun Hanasi. Antonius was not convinced. But doesn't the verse in Avadia 118 say, no remnant will be left from the house of Asav? He questioned. Do not be afraid, Rabbi Yehuda Nasi reassured him. The prophet referred only to those of Asa's descendants who would act as wickedly as he did. But someone like you, who has struggled to find the truth, is in a whole another category. Wow. So, this is reassurance. Again, like we said, it's not about lineage, it's about what you attach yourself to. And he attached himself to this this great sage this this great rabbi and and because of that he he was filled with torah and even the point where, where he thought he was going to be contemned and he's still serving him right and he quotes scripture to him he tells him you know that's it's not it's not for all of this and it's not about lineage it's it's about what you attach yourself to and and what you attach yourself to the torah is 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 what puts you in a whole new category just like ovadia himself this has been such an epic after like wow just yeah, it's always like the short portions that are like the most powerful things i know there's <laughs> so much there <laughs> wow well um as far as practical takeaway i feel like the whole thing is a practical takeaway <laughs> yeah let's take it there <laughs> all right um take it there. But uh, I just would just like to say Zeet Zeet uh, is a thing. And, you know, we always talk about how, like, men wear Zeet Zeet and things like that. And uh, what is the significance of Zeet Zeet? And, again, I shared this last week, but 
I was saying how our fellow Habibi Avenger Ish Pela was asked. He's he was asked by one of his customers that uh so so what are those strings like? What are those uh, things hanging out from your pants? Like what is that? He's like, oh, these are my ZZ. And the question following that was, so why do you wear those? Never in a million, bajillion, trillion star light years did I ever think of the response that he gave. He said, oh, I wear these because Hashem took us out of Egypt. What? What in the world? Like, no, not to look upon him who we've pierced or not to remember the commandments or what would Yeshua do or something uh, I'm attached to the creator of the universe, something like that. No, Hashem took us out of Egypt. I'm like, wow, man. So again, just to kind of extend that into this, I mean, the whole idea of being attached to what are we attached to is the, I mean, Zitzi for one of the many infinite examples we could probably go into, uh, really just elucidate that so beautifully to say, you know, like what we wear as an attachment is actually a picture for us of how we should be attached to Mashiach Yeshua. Because it talks about in the, uh, I believe it is Zechariah. I'm, I'm always like, if it's Zechariah or Yermiyahu, but uh, one of those passages say that, um, you know, and eight men will grab onto the zizit of one Jew. And follow him because they say, you know who Hashem is. Mm-hmm. I need to source that out. But I just wanted to bring up that point that, you know, even in what we wear as our zitzit, you know, it's a picture of how we should be with Hashem. Like we should be so attached, so one with Hashem that because, uh, you know, the zitzit garment itself is not it's not considered two pieces. It's actually one, you know, and. In some instances, it's actually a mixture of wool and linen, which is crazier. But the zitzit are actually one piece with the actual garment that they're attached to. No clip-ons, none of that craziness. Uh, So, anyway, attachment is like, it's oneness. It's true oneness. That's all I got. Love it. True oneness. So you're saying it's it's not about bringing back to our whole scientific comparison. It's not about necessarily, if you're looking at through atoms, it's not about the, the element that you are. It's not about all these, these differences. It's about the force that holds you together. The force may be with you. Yes. <laughs> may the force be with you. <laughs> Why is that force? Torah. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Zechariah 8.23. So it was Zechariah. That's my source verse. All right. Man. So a Star Wars drop. And an attachment and a science drop. Man, it doesn't get any better than this. <laughs> science to science fiction. And then back to Torah. <laughs> yep, your turn. For practical takeaways? Yes. All right. So, because uh, I'll make this comment. It is shameful for the Jews that they do not, that they that they forsake their ancestors' traditions. Well, the Gentiles do not. Oh. So, I want to drop that in there. Like, that's a shameful thing for us. You don't see you don't see in the Gentile nations just giving up their traditions. You don't see that. Why are you giving up yours? So what makes us special? It's make, what makes us a set apart people. It's what what gives us an attachment to a shim is our traditions. That's not a bad word. It's not truth or tradition. No, it's about having the right traditions. Ooh. 
you know, because you know you could you could follow Torah all day long, but it's not gonna it's not keep your family in it. You know, it's not gonna keep you in it. It's not gonna attach you to the Torah. What's gonna attach to the Torah is the oral Torah. Mm. What's gonna attach to the Torah is halakha. What's gonna attach you to the Torah is the traditions and the customs that we've had have set up by our, by our fathers and by our, by Chazal and by great rabbis and sages. And because that gives us a practical way to live out the written Torah, and in some cases tells us how to how to to specify our guideline in the written Torah. And so we can't forsake our traditions. We can't we can't forsake these the oral laws that were set in place to guide us and to keep generations after generations involved in Torah, how to live it out. And so let's let's not do a shameful thing in Israel. Let's not let's not forsake our forefathers' traditions. We even talked about uh, last half Torah that uh, that Hoshia was giving Ephraim a draw back to Yaakov in their special relationship. And and here we're mentioning this this Yaakov versus Esau mentality and how even Yaakov was was comforted from Avadya, the servant of Hashem. And he's essentially calling the people to identify with Yaakov, to identify with their father, his traditions, his way of life, his mentality, his perspective, his perspective, his perspective on the world, and distance them from Esau, the mentality of Esau. So Amen. Can you hear that song? May it be that we do not do a shameful thing. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, Habibi Toda Rabah for your insights that you have just so diligently uh, gleaned out for us. And Toda for sharing. And may Hashem bless you for that. Amen. You as well. Toda Rabah. All right. So. As we have been taught, and as is very, very true, what do we know? What do we know? Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Zur Kol HaOlamim Zadik Bekol HaDorot HaEl HaNeeman HaOmer Veose HaMdaber Um Kayam Shekol Devarav Emet Vazedek Neeman atahu Adonai Eloheinu, vene emanim, devarecha vedavar echad, mid varecha, achor lo yashuv recham, ki el melek neeman verakaman ata, baruch ata Adonai, hael ha neeman bekol devarav, biskut uvishem, Mashiach Yeshua, amen. Well, everyone, Toda Rabah for joining us this week for the Haftarah of Parashah Vayishlak. May you have a blessed rest of the week, which is a Shavua Tov and a blessed Shabbat. This is Shomer Man and Chasis Baz signing out. Shalom. Shalom.